Welcome to the Cybersecurity Readiness Podcast Series with Dr. Dave Chatterjee. Dr. Chatterjee is the author of Cybersecurity Readiness, a holistic and high-performance approach by Sage Publishing. He has been studying cybersecurity for over a decade, authored and edited scholarly papers, delivered talks, conducted webinars, consulted with companies, and served on a cybersecurity SWAT team with Chief Information Security Officers. Dr. Chatterjee is an Associate Professor of Management Information Systems at the Terry College of Business, the University of Georgia, and Visiting Professor at Duke University's Pratt School of Engineering. Hello folks, uh, I'm delighted to welcome you to this episode of the Cybersecurity Readiness Podcast Series. Today, I will be talking with Anne Leslie of IBM about threat management and security intelligence and operations best practices. It's gonna be a very exciting conversation. Anne is a terrific speaker. I've heard her many times, and I know you'll enjoy listening to what she has to offer. A little bit about Anne. Uh, she is a senior managing consultant for threat management in the IBM Security Center of Competency. Within the center of competency, Anne leads the application of garage and design thinking to some of the most wicked problems facing security practitioners. And she is a fervent champion of human-centered approaches to improving security outcomes. Prior to joining IBM, Anne's career spanned the intersection of financial services, European regulatory policy, blockchain and IT in leadership roles in both sales and advisory. Bilingual in French and English, she holds an executive MBA from the HEC Business School in Paris and also has several technology and cybersecurity certifications. Anne was born and raised in the Republic of Ireland and currently resides in Paris, France, which has been her home now for over 20 years. And welcome. Thanks for making time to share your expertise with our listeners here. So let's begin by talking about the major information security threats out there and you being in Europe, uh, we'd love to get that perspective. Thanks, Dave. I'm absolutely delighted to be with you, and I really appreciate the invitation. So the threats that are, you know, prevalent, um, it's very easy in cybersecurity to feel constantly overwhelmed. There are threats everywhere, affecting every industry, and they just, you know, the, the headlines just seem to give us this impression that it's an unfightable wave, you know, that almost sort of resistance is futile, that there are threats coming at us from every direction and it's just all terrible. Now, that's not a helpful state of affairs. And I'm not here to tell you that there aren't threats. I'm not here to tell you that, you know, we're not facing things that are serious, we are. But we're not all facing the same threats. And that's one of the things that I think is really important to emphasize is that all of the headlines that are coming out and the bulletins and the, the warnings, they don't apply to everybody. And it's 
knowing how to sift through that mass of information and to not get lulled by fear into inertia, that that's, that's really where the sort of secret sauce is in all of this. It's knowing how to distill out of all of that, what is the intelligence that matters to me, my team, my organization? What are the threats that matter? And one of the things that I've noticed in, in my time in security is that the people who have real expertise in this, the people who have real mastery, and I'm not putting myself in that category, right? I'm looking at sort of, you know, Katie Nichols, for example, who's now at Red Canary and used to be at the, the SAN, sorry, at MITRE, and an instructor at SANS. I'd look to her often, right, as a, a teacher in this space. And I've noticed that the people in, in cybersecurity who do have mastery of their domain, they have no problem simplifying. They have no problem asking simple questions as a way of getting started. And having that ability to ask simple but targeted questions, it seems to come with confidence. And I think that's one of the things that we really need to help each other do better in security is as practitioners, we need to help each other build the confidence to ask better questions, simpler questions, more targeted questions as a way of starting and then getting incrementally better at identifying and then defending against the threats that matter. Excellent. Yeah, that's precisely the way to go about uh, staying up on things. Uh, talking about staying abreast of the latest attack vectors and methods. Like you said, every organization needs to be able to filter through all the messaging out there, all the information out there, all the intelligence out there, and take in what is most relevant to their context, to their organizational needs. Um, you know, anything that you see out there by way of best practices in terms of staying on top of um, the latest attack vectors and methods? So a personal life hack that I use as a way of filtering through just there's too much information out there right now on every single topic. And as a way for me to manage that information, what I have a tendency to do is go back to timeless pieces of writing. And what I mean by that, I go back to writings of stoic philosophers. I go back to the art of war by Sun Tzu. And the reason I do that is because there is wisdom in there that is applicable everywhere, in our personal lives and in our professional lives. And two particular aspects of those writings stick with me. So from the art of war, I would look, for example, at the wisdom about knowing yourself and knowing your enemy. And from the Stoic philosophers, this idea that we can't choose our circumstances but we always have a choice of response. So one of the things, again, that I notice in our industry across businesses is that we have a tendency to look outwards before we look inwards. And in practical terms, what that means is we're not very clear collectively about 
what it is in our organizations and our businesses that adversaries might want. What do we have that's valuable? Have we cataloged it? Have we inventoried it? Do we know precisely what it is that adversaries might want to steal from us? Do we know precisely what are the systems, the information assets, the infrastructure that if it was attacked or if it was subject to some kind of harm, what parts of our business would cripple us if they were attacked? And it's a simple question. Getting the answer isn't always easy, but it does blow my mind a little bit that we are so bad in some ways at having an answer to it. And not knowing is not a crime, right? It's, I'm not trying to castigate anybody here for not knowing, but skirting around it is negligent. You know, not asking that question is negligent. So I, I, I always encourage when I get the opportunity, start by looking within. Start by talking to the people. If you've got experienced people who've been in your organization, system administrators, for example, go talk to them. They're going to know, for example, what your network looks like. They'll probably have a pretty good idea of where you're vulnerable. Start there. Start by collecting the intelligence that the people in your organization already have about you. And once you've exhausted what you can get from within your organization, then start looking out. But it's a question of knowing what to look for. And you know, when we talk about intelligence, there's the, the framework of the intelligence cycle. The first and the last stages of that are the ones where I sort of see the most, most problems. So we'd be talking about sort of planning and direction. You know, what, what intelligence are we trying to gather for what purpose? And that requires making choices. And as humans, we're not great at making choices because choices imply risk. There's always the risk that we might get it wrong. Um, but starting with looking within and knowing what it is that we have, why people might want that, and how they might go about getting it. If we already have answers to those questions, we're on a good footing. I love it. I'd like to uh, re-emphasize what you just said. Uh, the two things that came to mind, first is ignorance is not bliss when it comes to cybersecurity management. I like the way you framed it. Uh, you have to look inside first. You have to know what your vulnerabilities are as an organization. Now, who's you? I guess it starts all at the top, the, the senior management, the top management. Now, are we expecting top management to know everything about security? Absolutely not. But are we expecting them to be on top of it, to make every effort? Uh, like you said, that it's not acceptable to not know or make no effort to know. I think that's probably the more appropriate word. That, uh, and again, negligence is a very powerful word. We'll talk about that as we go along in this conversation. But at the onset, as a senior executive, I would make every effort to know as much as I can about the security threats that plague my organization or that could potentially affect my organization 
and how best I could organize to defend against those threats. I would make every effort so later on, if something were to go wrong and there's no guarantee that an organization won't be hacked, so that is a possibility. If that were to happen, I have a much stronger case. I can at least you know, emphatically state that I did everything I possibly could. There are no dearth of resources. There are no dearth of expertise out there. You have to make the effort to plug into those resources, plug into those expertise. You are not you know, likely to have everyone that you would like uh, who are experts in the field, but there are many who are really good. And there is a lot of advice that is out there that you could benefit from. So it, ultimately it comes down to the will, the desire to want to be on top of things. Fantastic. Um, the next thing I want to talk about, I loved uh, reading this in your bio. You state that as a fervent champion of human-centered approaches to improving security outcomes. Um, and you know, human element is such an important element. Uh, you can't overemphasize the significance of the human factor. I'd love to hear your perspective on a human-centered cyber defense strategy. Uh, thank you so much for asking that question. So I, I noticed when I first started working in, in security that frequently we'd hear about how the human element was the weakest element, how people are the Achilles heel of the best laid plans in security, how people make mistakes, how people click on links, how people are what makes our organizations vulnerable. Now, that grinds my gears on so many levels because I, I do believe that organizations depend on people. You know, we, we, we live in a world where organizations are fueled by human endeavor. And I believe that people come to work every day with sometimes an unarticulated aspiration, but to be useful. And it just seems to me that we're totally missing out on capitalizing on people's best intentions and their creativity and their motivation when we label them weak, when we label them as a vulnerability against which we need to defend. So there are a few layers on this. The first is that I am always positively blown away when I get the chance to go and speak to security practitioners in different organizations, and even not just security practitioners, just people in general. People want to contribute. People want to be helpful. They want to be united in something that's a little bit bigger than themselves. And security people in particular, maybe not all of them, but the majority that I've interacted with are driven by a desire to protect. They're driven by a cause. Security is more than a job, it's a cause. They want to defend. And when I talk about utilizing human-centered methods, it's going and actually interacting with these people and saying to them, how could we go about making your day go better? 
how could we go about allowing you to have more impact? What might we be able to do to take obstacles out of your way? And those are simple questions, but they don't get asked very often. And one of the, the experiences that I had earlier this year was talking to a level two SOC analyst. And I was interviewing him, asking him you know, about process and how, how his day is structured. We were talking about systems he uses. And he was very suspicious initially in the interview, a bit cagey. And I, you know, I really had to work hard to try and build up a bit of a rapport, put him at ease. And eventually I just said it to him. I said, you seem to be you know, very wary of me. I'm, I'm not trying to catch you out. And he looked at me and said, well, okay. It's just, nobody's ever asked me before. Nobody's ever really seemed to care, you know, as I used to be a level one analyst and I got promoted to level two, but, you know, we're kind of looked at as though we're grunts. We're, we're kind of looked at as though, well, we can't replace you yet with bots, but if we could, we would. And it made me sad. It made me sad that there is so much potential there. There are so many great people being thwarted, thwarted, excuse me, I remember that, thwarted in the impact that they would be able to have for their organizations because we don't try to help them enough to actually do the jobs that deep down they really want to do. They want to defend, they want to protect, they want to feel that they're doing something positive and constructive. And yet too often they feel that it's futile that the work they're doing is A, unnoticed, B, unremarkable, and C, just thankless. And it shouldn't be that way. What we're up against individually in organizations and collectively is too important for us to miss out on leveraging all of that human potential. So where I get the opportunity, I try to do discovery around what's really going on for these practitioners. And I do my utmost to then communicate it to the leaders in those organizations, to translate it into business terms, risk impact, and say, if we did this, it will allow you from an executive perspective to have these, this impact and these outcomes, which matter to you from an executive perspective, but it's not just about buying more technology. It's about doing more with what we have, where we are, and instrumentalizing capability that we can get from our people is a key, key factor in that. Wonderful. Um, very well articulated, in fact, um several thoughts come to mind as I hear your take on involving, engaging humans. As you have heard me mention several times in my talks, um, I'm a huge fan of the theme or statement that cybersecurity or cybersecurity readiness is everyone's business. This is not just a domain of technology experts. This is not just a domain 
of information security experts, everyone needs to get involved. And I couldn't agree with you more when you said that people come to work with great intentions. They want to do great things. The exact same view was articulated in my first podcast with the president of an insurance company. He said exactly the same thing. We must trust in the people in our organization. They can do great things. We are not asking them to all become cybersecurity experts. We should not frighten them away by making them think that they have to learn all these technical details. But we can definitely equip them with the necessary knowledge that could help us deal with one of the key threats in cybersecurity, which is hacking. And as you know, 99% of the hacks are focused on the vulnerable humans. Along those lines, there's one more thing I'd like to share with our listeners. I talk about it in my book, and that relates to how do you create a cohesive culture, a human-centered, we are in it together culture. Whenever we use the word culture, you know, it's kind of abstract. People like to stay away from it because it's easier said than done. But as you know, there is a lot of research backed by great evidence, case studies, that the more high-performing the culture, the more effective the firm performance. So what, how do you create this high-performance information security culture? I won't get into all the details of it, but one thing I'm going to mention, and that is striving to build emotional capital over a period of time where employees feel valued and develop a sense of belonging. They take pride in their work. They're having fun. And last but not the least, they perceive leadership to be genuine and authentic. We've touched upon this earlier. We will touch upon it again. At the end of the day, I'm convinced that it really boils down to how committed, how involved, how engaged top management is. Because then that's the spirit that spreads throughout the organization that infuses people to do great things and the result is generally great. Fabulous. You really got me going here, Anne. Uh, it's not, I'm not the guest, but uh, <laughs> I'm going to switch it back to you shortly. So let's talk about um, what you do at IBM in the area of security, intelligence, and operations. By way of a prompt, and again, feel free to deviate from it. Um, one of the things that, once again, strikes me as extremely important is I read in the media reports that organizations are often slow and for lack of a better word, negligent in promptly and effectively responding to cyber intelligence. This is definitely a weakness that no organization can afford. What are your thoughts? So there are a few aspects to that. Um, the first one is that we have, and I mean this in the broadest sense, the we of our sort of society, 
we love to we love to blame we love victim blaming you know um and yes there's always um there are always contributing factors we, we need to look at root causes we need to find out what happened but the tendency that we have to try and pin blame frequently on an individual, in my view, is unhelpful. And we do it way too often. Um, there has been some very, very high profile breaches where responsibility was assigned to the chief information security officer. Generally, that person gets dismissed in disgrace. Okay, is, there, is it an appropriate response? That's probably a, a conversation for another time. But the thing that really bothers me about that approach is that were any real changes made to the fundamental systemic problems that exist in those organizations? Was there any organizational cultural change? Were there any leadership changes? Did we really exercise due diligence in being disciplined and looking at why, from a systemic perspective, that breach happened. And I would hazard a guess and say no. That's the problem. That's where leadership is absolutely essential. Because it doesn't matter how great we have, uh, how great the people we ha have lower down the organization if the culture is one of blame, if the one the culture is one of uh, making individuals responsible for organizational failure, then security will never be able to deliver. So I loved what you just said about the the impact of security being positively correlated with the health of the culture in the organization. Yes, a million times yes. Because when you have a healthy organization which is built up consistently with consistent behaviors, consistent attitudes, consistent interventions on the part of leadership, what it instills in people at every level of the organization is a sense of accountability, a sense of responsibility, a sense of pride, and most importantly, a desire to protect because they have an emotional connection to their organization, an emotional connection to the leadership, even if they've never spoken to them. There's an emotional connection which says, I feel responsible for the person to the left of me, the person to the right of me. I feel responsible for the things that we work on the data, the systems, I'm going to make an effort that if I see something that's a bit odd, a bit askance, I could just walk on by. But if I care, if I feel that emotional connection, I won't walk on by, I'll find a way of alerting somebody who can do something about it. And people who are disengaged from their organization don't care. They don't have that emotional connection, so they won't make the effort. And in the worst cases, that's where you get your insider threats, is where people are so 
so resentful, so bitter, so disenchanted that they want to hurt the organization that they work for. So security, yes, we have systems, we have technology, we have processes, we have security operation centers. We have all of the component parts of security as a domain, but for security to really infuse the fabric of an organization, it will never have the impact it needs to have unless the organization as a whole is already functioning well as a collective body with leaders who care, leaders who connect, leaders who believe that the people who work for them are not just as important as the systems and the data, they're more important. And we try then to enable them. We, we try to protect those people. And there's a real difference in, in the, the outcomes that you will see in companies where the leadership embodies this belief that people matter. That's an organization where you can do amazing things with security because it will be a whole of enterprise initiative. And like you say, we don't need everybody in the organization to know all the specifics of what happens on the back end of security. We have experts to do that, but we need to have a whole of enterprise approach so that people care. Love it, love it. The whole of enterprise approach. That makes so much sense. In fact, I'd like to again highlight a few things that you talked about. I believe you emphasize the importance of getting away from the scapegoating culture. We don't need that. Um, I think, as you said brilliantly, when a problem happens, when there's a major breach, the easy part is to point to an individual, blame that per uh, person, fire him or her, and often the organization comes across as very responsive, acting promptly, and often the organization is rewarded by the financial markets. But even I am of the opinion as you that that may not be the right approach. The organization has to look deeper. Root cause analysis is an approach, a method that is widely touted. Whatever the, the name, whatever the acronym, bottom line is, you've got to look deeper into your systems and processes to see what went wrong as, a, as compared to just blaming one person. By replacing that person, will you, would you have solved the problem that caused the breach, let's say? That may not be the case. There might be a need for bringing about more systemic changes in structure, in processes, in training. So it has to be an organization-wide effort. So we gotta be much more substantive in our approach and not being very superficial. Um, so that's kind of, it's important to remind folks that at the end of the day, we want uh, an organization, like you said, where everyone comes together as, as a team 
and wants to do their best to protect. In return, there is an expectation that while I do my best to protect the organization from getting breached, the organization also has a responsibility to give me the benefit of the doubt and protect me. And I know that we might be entering a territory that has its pros and cons. So um, not trying to suggest that there is this one right approach, but at least trying to alert the leadership that you've got to look at it more holistically. Along those lines, and the next uh, thing I wanted to discuss with you, and you touched upon it, which is about joint ownership and accountability or shared ownership and accountability. Easier said than done, but if there are structures and mechanisms through which this can be accomplished, that's another way of bringing the business people, the operations people together with the security people. And I also include the vendors, the service providers, because organizations are often leveraging their services. It's very important to create a true partnership where everyone has a stake in the game, as opposed to here are my services, you've paid for it, so you have access to these servers. Here is how you set the security for the servers. Now, now that I have trained you, I've given you some tutorial, it's your problem and not mine. Instead of taking that approach, being there and saying, yes, we will support you as you manage. That is how I look at it. I'd love to get your perspective, your thoughts. Great question. Um, one of the, the real obstacles to security delivering outcomes that are positive for the business, visible to the business, um, is that security in a lot of organizations is still very much siloed. The security team does security. And you'll have the ops team and the infrastructure team doing their thing separately. And it gets even more complicated if, for example, in the mix, you have a managed security provider from an external organization and an external infrastructure provider. And one of the things that I've seen again and again and again is massive, massive frustration in security teams saying, we know where the vulnerabilities are. We keep flagging them, can't do anything about them because we don't have access to the infrastructure. We don't have access to those assets. So what frequently happens is that they alert and it kind of, for want of a better expression, gets thrown over the fence to the infrastructure team. But the thing is, is that the security team is measured on a certain set of metrics and KPIs. The infrastructure team is managed on something completely different. And if the infrastructure team took instruction, now already, that's one of the things, they don't want to take instruction from the security team. Who are you to tell me how I should be doing my work? Um, so you have that problem, there's an interpersonal issue there and they frequently fight, they hate each other. Um, but the, the impact in terms of security is that 
the infrastructure team gets measured on uptime. Um, they, they have their own set of performance metrics and implementing the, the best advice coming from the security team would actually adversely affect their performance metrics. So what happens is that you end up having um, a false view from an executive level because both teams are probably doing vanity reporting because they don't want to look bad. You know, their metrics and their dashboards are probably green. And yet the enterprise is probably pretty vulnerable because alerts are coming in. There are known vulnerabilities, but they're not being fixed because there's no incentive to actually go fix them because it will actually adversely affect the metrics against which people are measured and incentivized. So again, leadership problem. We're not measuring the right things and we're not incentivizing the right types of behaviors to get the teams who have dependencies on each other to deliver an outcome that matters for the business. We're not enabling them to do that. We're actually setting them up for conflict and failure because they have antagonistic incentives. They have antagonistic performance metrics. So what would need to happen, and again, you know, sort of human-centered approaches to this, like design thinking, is bring those people together. Allow them to actually build a relationship. Get them talking. Allow them to express what it is that frustrates them about the people on the other side of the fence. And then explain, actually, you probably don't even need to explain to them, right? People aren't stupid. They, they know intuitively what needs to be done. But it's let's find a way again you know your, your analogy of we're all in it together a team sport nobody comes to work i really don't believe this that people come to work wanting to fight right and yet we do in in companies we spend a lot of time of turf wars and politics wouldn't it be great if we could actually focus on something that was much more positive much more constructive so trying to get the security teams with the infrastructure teams and with leadership so that the leadership actually realizes how badly aligned incentives cause people's days to be full of hostility and aggression, friction, and bad outcomes. How might we go about actually instilling something much more productive where there are aligned incentives towards a shared objective, which is one of risk reduction and better defense? Wow, wow, totally agree. In fact, what a great segue to the next topic and probably the final topic of our discussion. We can go on and on, but in the interest of time, we'll probably have to draw a line somewhere. But I wanted to touch upon performance measures before we ended this episode. And uh, you already talked about it and you are such a great uh, articulator of uh, these very important um, principles. I'd like to say a few things of, about performance measures. What I have found in my research and work with organizations, unfortunately, often what gets measured is what is convenient to me measure, not what needs to be measured. And I have seen that problem with e-business initiatives. And I won't be surprised if that problem transcends and also exists in the cybersecurity governance space. 
once again, referring to my book in the appendix, I share some examples of cybersecurity KPIs. And I come at it holistically because as you know, when you are assessing or evaluating performance, it cannot be unidimensional. It has to be multidimensional. So from the standpoint of cyber, you have to look at the business value impact. You have to look at the productivity impact. You also have to assess extent of preparedness, nature of incidents, frequency of occurrence, compliance. So there are various aspects that needs to be monitored and you need good measures to monitor. And you put it so well when you said, you've got to align these incentives because if I'm doing these things, if I'm attending cybersecurity awareness classes, and if I'm being able to apply some of the training in practice, who's watching? Who's recognizing? So at the end of the year or whenever the performance review happens, are my efforts in becoming a better cybersecurity citizen, are my efforts being recognized? And at the end of the day, like you said, when people come to the organization, they all want to do great things, but it is also human nature to want to be recognized, to want to be appreciated. And there is nothing wrong with that. And often I'll hear somebody say, well, they get paid. And I don't think that's good enough. We all get paid to do what we do. But there is something to be said for the other forms of recognition. And that comes through some of these measures and you know, tapping into the findings and then accordingly making adjustments where uh, you need to praise a person, please do so, praise a function, please do so, where you need to change tactics, you, somebody needs more counseling, more help, make those efforts. And along those lines, there's something else that I have often preached, shared with whoever wishes to listen. And that is, we have our annual reports where the key aspects of performance are highlighted for the shareholders. And I feel that there should be a line in there or a couple of lines in there where the cyber performance should be talked about especially when there are no breaches to report. It mm -hmm. has been an uneventful year. Doesn't mean you go silent. Let's recognize the people who are behind the scenes doing the good, good work. And for all you know, that's the reason why there has been no incidents. So as organizational leaders, we have to be very mindful of these things. And once again, take a very holistic approach to readiness, to preparedness, because that's how we are gonna bring the best out of, of people. So Anne, um, as we are coming to the end of this discussion, um, share with the audience any final words, any final thoughts, reflections. Absolutely, so I'd love to just to jump on what you just said, which is, um, 
re reflecting as well in the context of Mental Health Awareness Day, right? So mental health is an issue in cyber and it's linked to the stress. And there's also an aspect of the futility. There can be a sometimes um, feeling that resistance is futile that what we're doing is futile. We only ever get noticed when things go wrong. We never get acknowledged for all of the things we're doing to avert the breaches, to avert the terrible headlines. So I love what you just said. It's super important to acknowledge what didn't go wrong. If things have been quiet, fantastic, well done. And I think, it's really important to bring the cybersecurity teams, the information security teams, into things like um, reporting on customer satisfaction. So, for example, you know, I've been doing some work in the banking industry. We'd be looking at uh, net promoter scores. Okay, now it's an imperfect measure, but for the value that it does bring, where customers are satisfied, well it's because they feel secure doing their banking. It's because they've been able to access their bank accounts. It's because they trust that the balance that they're seeing in their mobile app is actually the money that they have. Security is instrumental in that. So when a business is reporting the fact that customers are happy, we need to also acknowledge that security pay, played a role in that. Where business continuity hasn't been impact adversely, impacted adversely. Again, same thing. So anytime we're reporting on things that are going well, let's emphasize them, let's accentuate them, and let's acknowledge all of the contributors to that, including security. We tend to only talk about security when things have gone wrong, but in an you know, this whole of enterprise approach that I mentioned earlier, customer satisfaction in a digital enterprise, which is increasingly every enterprise these days, security is a key player in that. So where things are going wrong, let's fix them. Let's be curious about them. Let's be disciplined and intellectually honest when we are looking for root causes and how we can better address them. But let's not just focus on the negative. Let's celebrate small wins. And it's super important for operational teams who often feel overwhelmed, unloved, unthanked. Let's find metrics for executive level reporting. It's important for steering. It's important for investment. But let's also have metrics that allow the people who are turning up every day to do security, to provide defense, Let's find some way of taking the futility out of their day-to-day. Their -day. Let's take away some of the frustration. Let's find a way of celebrating the things that are going well, the things that we've managed to achieve, because it's really important from a mental health perspective, from a motivation perspective, from an engagement perspective. People are the core of security. So let's celebrate them, let's celebrate us, and let's find a way of communicating the value that we bring individually and collectively at our level 
and then amplify it and diffuse it and give it to our leadership in a way that helps them steer the business. But let's not underestimate how important small wins are. We can find something to celebrate every day. Well, thank you, Anne. Thank you very much for your time, your insights, your perspectives. It is much appreciated, and I hope you'll come back again to share your thoughts and perspective. Thanks again. Thank you so much, Dave. A special thanks to Anne Leslie for her time and insights. If you like what you heard, please leave the podcast a rating and share it with your network. Also, subscribe to the show so you don't miss any new episodes. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode. The information contained in this podcast is for general guidance only. The discussants assume no responsibility or liability for any errors or omissions in the content of this podcast. The information contained in this podcast is provided on an as-is basis, with no guarantee of completeness, accuracy, usefulness, or timeliness. The opinions and recommendations expressed in this podcast are those of the discussants and not of any organization.